When I began this series of sermons from First and Second Timothy, it was my intent to focus on the advice the aged apostle gave to the up-and-coming new pastor of the church in Ephesus, Timothy. And in so doing, I thought also to cause us to think expectantly about our hopes for a new pastor. And uh, I'm afraid that in doing so, I may have unintentionally communicated to you that our pastor search committee was ready to make some kind of announcement for our consideration. If you assumed this from what I said, I must apologize, for in truth I knew nothing more than you on the subject. So we were in this together. The search committee has been appropriately tight-lipped to protect the ministries of those who are being considered. You can certainly understand this, uh, how disruptive it would be to a church to learn through the grapevine that their pastor was, was contemplating a move to another congregation. Even if the pastor sensed God's call to stay where he was or she was in the, that congregation, rather than move, the congregation would thereafter wonder if their pastor was keeping an eye out for greener pastures. So it's better that we just let the search committee be the search committee, we'll be the church, and uh, our job is to be in prayerful support of the committee, knowing that, as Paul said to the Corinthians, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So until then, we will keep on keeping on, right? Go like this. You got it. All right, now for the sermon. Paul begins this portion of his letter by pointing back to something he said earlier. That is, the desire to become wealthy can be a problem, especially for a committed Christ follower. He begins, but as for you, man of God, shun all of this. Two things about this are noteworthy. First, notice that Paul addresses Timothy in his best self, his potential. Paul calls him man of God. To me, this is reminiscent of Gideon. In Judges chapter 6, God has heard the cries of the Israelites who have been harassed by Midianite warriors who would periodically sweep, sweep through their territory and plunder their crops and livestock. As the chapter opens, 
Gideon is threshing his wheat in a wine press. The reason for doing this is he was partially hidden by the wine press. He is hiding from these Midianites. And into this scene, God sent an angel who addressed Gideon. Curiously to me, the angel did not say, Greetings, coward. Why are you hiding in a wine press, scaredy cat? Rather, the angel addressed him according to his potential. The angel said, The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. As I watch this scene in my mind's eye, I see Gideon turning around to see who the angel is addressing. Because surely the angel is not talking to him in saying, Mighty warrior, he's hiding in a wine press. And perhaps Timothy too wondered about Paul's words. Paul does not mention his failings. He does not mention any kind of particular weakness. He does not remind Timothy that he is a sinner. We are sure Timothy knows these things well enough. Paul decides to encourage him and desires to have Timothy think in more lofty terms about himself, to sense the divine possibility. Paul desires to plant in Timothy the, the desire to fulfill what God sees in him. So I, I have to ask you, is it unreasonable to think that even today, and even with us, that God sees us and would address us according to the potential he sees in us? Potential that we may not even have a clue about. Wouldn't he say to you, I am with you, O mighty warrior, O child of God, and you might look around to see to whom God is speaking. But he's talking to you, and he's talking to me. For he sees us not as we are, but as in his strength we can be. So will you let this in, or will you continue to sell yourself short? But Paul continues to the second noteworthy notion. And that is that pursuing finances can often trip us up. He says, shun the pursuit of riches and learn to be content. Paul knows that finances can be a problem 
how much greater is the danger if we are actively pursuing amassing wealth? If we're, in the words of today, trying to get rich, to make acquiring money our primary focus is to remove our focus from everything else. When you concentrate on amassing money, we're not concentrating on other essential elements like family relationships or faith. Those who pursue riches are faced with many temptations, Paul says, and these trap the Christian into compromising the faith. They didn't notice, he says, that they wandered away from the faith. They didn't reject the faith. It's just that money and everything associated with it had such a strong attraction that it pulled them away from the exercise of their faith and the demonstration of their faith and even their faith itself. They looked at what they thought money would do for them and they lusted after those things and they left the faith. So we could say they looked, they lusted, and they left, for those of you who like alliteration. This isn't rocket science or brain surgery. We know it to be true that we move toward what we focus on. We move toward what we're looking at. But Paul is not a fanatical ascetic. He's not advocating that we give all of our money away and sit on the top of a mountain somewhere waiting for Jesus to come back. Paul is acquainted with some people like that who simply waited for the second coming and expected the church people to feed them and care for them in the meantime. And of those people, Paul said, if they don't work, neither shall they eat. No, Paul knows the essential value of money. He is not opposed to our having enough to meet our needs. Look at verse 17, if you still have your Bibles open. Paul knows that some believers in Ephesus are already wealthy. It is not their wealth that is the problem. But he knows that money has a way of crowding out other important things. Paul knows this, which is why he does not say that money is the root of all evil, as he has often been misquoted. Rather, he says, the love of money is the root of all evil. For those who are wealthy, Paul does not say, give it away, all of it at least. Become paupers so you can become spiritually rich. 
No. He acknowledges that much good can be done with our resources, so he tells Timothy to challenge rich folk to be humble and not haughty. Which is why I'm challenging all of you rich folk to be humble and not haughty. And Paul says further, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of life that really is life. Next Sunday, as you heard Kristen announce, during the Sunday School Hour, we will meet with our Stewardship Committee to hear how we can do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share through our church budget. At its heart, our church budget is not about money. Well, it seems that it is, but it's about doing good, about being generous, about providing worship and education for all ages in promoting spiritual growth to become more like Christ and in assisting those who are in need. So we might suppose, and it is certainly true, that through his writings to Timothy, God, through Paul, is challenging us as he urged Timothy to fight the good fight of faith in making his choices, so we must also fight the good fight of faith in making ours. There is so much about this passage of scripture we read that could ask for our attention. But time doesn't permit us to do that. So we will focus on what we have just said and acknowledge that this fighting the good fight of faith encompasses the spiritual battle that we do within ourselves in deciding how much we're going to give to the Lord through the church how generous we are going to be. This is a fight of faith. For in it we are tested to see if we really do believe that God will take care of us. I know that some of you here are tithers. That is, as a matter of choice, you give 10% of your income to the church, to the Lord, I should say, through the church. And others of you perhaps would like to be tithers, but the truth is you have so many financial commitments and obligations that 
that you just don't see how you could manage that. And for still others, the thought of giving a tithe is just so out of the norm of your thinking that you can't imagine doing that. But will you do this, regardless where you are in this giving spectrum, would you be willing to take some time as an individual or to sit down with your family and talk about your faith, what your faith means to you, and how giving is a part of expressing your faith. Talk about how much, as a family, you're willing to give and what kind of sacrifices you are willing to make. This exercise can itself be a wonderfully liberating time. For your children hear from you what really is important to you. You have an opportunity to teach them spiritual truth. You can talk honestly about these things. But remember to include the second part of what Paul said. He said that we are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. But also, he said thus, storing up for yourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of the life that really is life.